When I first became a Christian, I was trying everything in my power to grow as a Christian. And I would get into the Word of God with a devotional, and I was buying Christian books by Christian authors. And I remember one of the Christian books I bought was called The Be Happy Attitudes. And it was a book written by an author, and it was talking about the Beatitudes and how you can be happy with the Beatitudes. And I, I'm not recommending the book because I really don't remember what was in the book. But uh, much of my life was really trying to grow, and I would watch TV preachers, and they would sound so godly, and uh, it was really a lot of times feel-good stuff about Scripture, and we at times make the Bible want to feel comfortable to our individual lives. We're okay with that. Fortunately, as I was growing, I had some good Christian men in my life that walked alongside me, and I'd say, what do you think about this? And they'd go, uh, let's go to Scripture. And it was good. It really helped me. Now, in 1 John, as we will be looking at 1 John, and if you want to turn in your Bibles, you can turn in your Bibles. 1 John, my main text will be verses 5 through 9, but I will start at the beginning. 1 John, uh, it is a circular letter, what they call a circular letter. And it was written to one church, and that church would pass it on to the next church, and the next church, and the next church. It wasn't designed to be just one specific church because uh, the author really sees what's going on in the early church. You will see that the early church is dealing with some false teaching, maybe some teaching that made these Christians feel very warm, comfortable, well-fed, uh, and it would have been very palatable to the infant Christian. And so <clears throat> that teaching, though, it came from a group called the Gnostics. And I asked our middle school the other night to spell Gnostic, and that didn't work. But uh, Gnostics basically means this, knowledge. They said, we have knowledge. And they, personal spiritual knowledge, Above the Old Testament teachings, they had, had got more uh, wisdom or, or intelligence about the Old Testament teaching, and so they were, were spreading these things. They were considered to be smart. If they'd had TVs back then, they may have had a TV program of their own. Maybe they were loud. Maybe they were very self-assured. We're not sure, but what we know is the false teaching. And they also considered themselves to have secret godly knowledge. Well, we know that, that that's a red flag that we have to go, no, 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 wait. Because God's word is revealed to all of us who have trusted Christ and uh, the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. As we read, it becomes understandable. It, it's not secret. It's for all of us. So let's go to 1 John 1 through 4. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it 
and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, as I, I looked uh, this up, we're not 100% sure who wrote this letter. It is highly believed, 95 to 98%, that the Apostle John wrote this because the writing in 1 John really looks like uh, the Gospel of John, but he never identifies himself as the writer. No one identifies themselves as the writer. But we know this. That the writer was with Jesus while he was on earth. A few months ago, I was uh, hanging out with some friends, and we started talking about baseball players. And I started talking about old baseball players. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. I saw Willie Mays play. Really? I saw, and we're talking back and forth and, and going back and forth on the different baseball players we had seen play, and uh, I'm a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, don't judge me, but um, so anyway, last Saturday night, the Tampa Bay Bucks are in Indianapolis, right? Now, my daughter and son-in-law are here this morning. Uh, they can testify. I'm texting them on Friday night and said, hey, I hear Tom Brady's playing. They go, yeah, I think he is. I said, what do you think about the game tomorrow? They go, you want to drive down? I said, okay. My wife's out of town, so I'm free. <laughs> so I bought some tickets, drive down, stay at their house, and we go to the game. And there it is. Tom Brady, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. You can argue with yourself. Don't argue with me, because I know what I believe. And there he is on the field playing and I got to see him play so what what difference does it make see here's the deal they didn't even know I was there they don't even know that I exist when I'm in the stands to me it's cool because I can share it with you but the author here of this book goes to a much deeper level he goes we heard from him Jesus, he's talking about, we, we heard Jesus. We weren't in the, the 600 level. We were right there with Jesus. We heard him. We have seen him. Jesus, he's real. We have seen him. We have touched him. We physically touched him. And when I read that, I, I stopped. And I thought, hmm, they touched him. Jesus. And so many times with Jesus, we picture Jesus in this white robe with this little uh, uh, glow thing around his head, and, and we think that he was untouchable, but still we see Jesus. What does he do? A blind man can't see, and he makes mud and touches the blind man. When the leper needs to be healed, he heals a leper, and he touches a leper. Think about that, and then think about this. 
He says to Thomas, touch my hands and touch my sides. This loving Savior that we know, was he someone who physically touched his disciples and put his arm around his disciple when he was having a bad day? Was he maybe someone who, as his, uh, as his disciples came out after fishing, high-fived him and said, great catch? Was he someone that walked up to his mother and said, Mom, I love you. Give me a hug. When we look at the Jesus of Scripture, we see a very relational Jesus. And by seeing that character, I would say yes. And what it says about the author of the book and about Jesus is they had a very deep relationship. Because the author says this, and we can testify to the fact. I will go to court for you about that. We testify and proclaim to you eternal life, which has, we have seen and heard. And we share this with you as well. Why? Well, so that you too can have fellowship with the Father through the Son. And that brings joy. It brings a complete joy. We've set the stage. So let's go into our, verse, our verses. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him, no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is light. That's how he starts it. And this is a statement about God and it reveals God's character. But also with that statement, that has implications for us as followers of Christ on how we need to live our life. This statement was made at a time to reveal God to those who were claiming false things about God. One of the things that were, was being proclaimed at this time was that the creator God was an inferior God. Because the world was so evil, how could a holy, perfect God create an evil world? But what they took out of the equation was the human sin. God created the world perfect, but the human sinned. But they were, they were speaking down on God. They were proclaiming a lesser deity. God is light. It's how God is seen throughout most of the Old Testament. We see it in Exodus as he appears to Moses in a burning bush. Moses out in the wilderness, lighted bush. He leads the Israelites with a pillar of fire. Psalm 104, 1 and 2 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. Think about that. Covering yourself with light as a garment. That is an amazing picture of God. <clears throat> It is an appropriate self-description for a God that is pure 
and a God that is blameless. God's word guides us. God's word gives direction and light. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Just as a flashlight gives light to us showing us where to walk in the dark. We went, uh, one year I remember going to Silver Birch Ranch and we had the cabin down by the lake, which was really cool and everything, but you had to walk through this really forested, wooded area down these steps. And I didn't have a flashlight, and I'm kind of, it's night, they call the canteen, you got to go back to your cabin, and so I'm kind of walking down these stairs, you know, and you'd step and you'd twist an ankle or something. Well, this middle school boy comes up to me with this flashlight that his dad must have had, you know, for super heavy duty. He goes, hey, Billy, you need help? I go, yeah. And he hits his flashlight, and it was like, a beam of light. I mean, it could have woke the neighbors on the other side of the lake. It was so bright. But it was a beautiful thing because now my path, I can see where I'm walking, and I'm not stumbling and tripping anymore. That's God's word for our lives right there. It's a light to our path. It guides us. And light also symbolizes salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? If you are walking in the light of God, it will lead you on a path to God. And 1 John, we are pointed to the author of our salvation, the word of life, that being Jesus. And in God... There is no darkness. God is pure light. That light is not diluted in any way, nor can it be diluted. There is no evil in God. There is no untruth in God. There is no ignorance in God. There is no hostility in God. It is a statement that drives us to the heart of what God is like, his character. And God is pure light. And because of that, as I said before, there are implications for those who are followers of Christ. What are those implications? What does God desire of us? Well, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You know, if you were here a few weeks ago, I mentioned that we all have some kind of identities. Hopefully our number one identity is being a follower of Christ. But, you know, maybe you have a a secondary identity, uh, you know, with your job. Or, you know, if you're a sports fan of a certain team, people go, oh, yeah, they're a fan of that. Uh, Maybe you're identified with your child. Uh, My daughter Taylor's here today. I'm known as Taylor's dad. I no longer have my own identity. I've taken on part of hers. But anyway, uh, we have these identities. But if I asked you right now, how do you want to be identified? Would you want to be identified as a police officer? Would you want to be identified as, you know, uh, whatever your job was, would you want to be identified as a Bears fan or a, a Blackhawks fan? You know, I'd have different people raising their hands. But if I said this, Which one of you would like to be identified as a liar? Probably no hands are going up. And if there are, then maybe you should chat with me afterwards. But the statement here is this, and it is a very strong statement. If we say we have fellowship with him and 
while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not tell the truth, not practice the truth. You know, the world that the, the early Christians lived in, it was a very, very confusing time. And um, <clears throat> the Gnostics at that time proclaimed that Christ, Jesus, had become God when he got baptized. So that would mean that up until the first 30 years of his life, he wasn't God. He was just human. And they also professed that uh, when he went to the cross, as soon as he got on the cross, he lost the deity. He is no longer God. So that would indicate that a human died on the cross for our sins, making a sinner die for sinners. You don't think that isn't confusing? He would not have been a perfect sacrifice for sin. Some of the teaching at that time, said that Jesus wasn't really even human. He was just a spirit. And I really believe that's why the author here of 1 John says, we touched him. He was no spirit. He was human. He was real. And that view of Jesus changes so many things in the way they would live. But, you know, we live in a very confusing time as well, don't we? Uh, I love what the work that the Women's Center does. But we live in a world that a lot of times, and up until a few months ago, and even still now the debate rages, that the life of an unborn child, it's okay to kill. You can kill an unborn child, but yet if the mother is pregnant, with an unborn child, and you kill her and the baby, you get charged with a double, double homicide. Why is not killing the baby homicide? Because it's surgically done? It starts to get confusing here. We, we say, uh, you can change your gender, go ahead, change it, but yet God's word says, I have created you fearfully and wonderfully. And I have a plan for you if you will seek me. We can hate the leadership of our country so much that we can drive around with flags of profanity on our vehicles. Even though God's word tells us that he's put all authority in place. And I could go on, and, and, but you get the drift. We are in confusing times of what the world says about... And, uh, in relationship to what Scripture says, that God says, go to my word because it is a lamp to your feet, a guide to what it takes to walk in godly light. Our world wants us to be gray, but God's not gray. It's black and it's white. It's right and it's wrong. To walk in the light means this, to shape one's whole being. All of my actions, all of my actions, all of the decisions that I make, all of my thoughts, all of my beliefs need to be set by the fact that God is light. It does not mean that we will be perfect because God is perfect, but to walk in the light means that we will continually be guided by and committed to God, the one who is light. And the author goes on to say this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, who cleanses us from all sin. 
Fellowship. Fellowship with other followers of Jesus. Times like this. Verge. I love Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Discipleship groups. They bring me great joy. Why? Because we are like-minded. We've got common ground here. A focus on the cross. And when I spoke on being missional a few weeks ago, I talked about creating space for spiritual conversation. Spiritual conversations with those who do not know Jesus. But those conversations can be very awkward. Why? Because we don't have common ground with them. But when we are with fellow Christians, we are like-minded. We can spur one another on as we have common ground. A God who is pure and holy and sent his son to die for us. We don't have that with those who do not know Jesus Christ. We don't have that with those who don't know a God who is perfect light. Those who don't base their lives on scripture. And I hope your small groups, if you're not in a small group, this is a a cheap and shameless plug. You need to get in one. But if you are in a small group, I hope your small groups are, are both very encouraging, both very challenging, and at times we need to admonish one another. But we don't do it randomly like the world does. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Oh, wait, today's a different day. Go ahead and do that. No, we have common ground. We have God's word. Same source. But walking in the light also brings us into fellowship with God. Fellowship with our Heavenly Father. And that that is not something that is mystical. It really isn't. It's not a communion with a a vague and distant deity, some old guy that looks like Santa Claus that's floating on a cloud somewhere. That's not what we're talking about here. It's a commitment to a holy God. A heavenly father that desires really the best for our lives when we walk in the light. He desires the best. And that's as he walk in the light. Doing the truth of God's word and living as God desires. That is being in fellowship with God. If we say we have no sin... We are fooling ourselves. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. None of us wants to be uh, the brunt of deception. You get that fake phone call that says you've won a million dollars, you've got to come down here and blah. You don't want to be deceived. Why would you deceive yourself? If we say we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But here's the good news. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive. That's awesome. If I confess my sin, God is faithful and just to forgive that. That is being in fellowship with God. And there's so much in these last few verses. As I said before, everything in the world seems to be okay, except maybe child pornography, and who knows when they'll say that's okay. 
Do what makes you feel happy as long as it doesn't hurt someone else too much. A study a number of years ago uh, talked about pick and choose Christianity. Christians, these were all people that were in the survey, supposed to be, you know, if they did 100 people, 100 people surveyed and the top seven answers are, no, I'm not. Uh, But anyway, uh, pick and choose uh, Christianity, all the Christians talked about this. Um, They could choose the teachings of scripture they believe, what makes them feel good. One of the least popular uh, teachings of Christianity was this the one regarding sin. 33% of those said they make mistakes, but they are not a sinful being. That's Christians. If 33% of Christians say they make mistakes and they don't sin, what is it out in the world? And there's a difference between sin and mistakes, okay? Mistakes happen when you have studied hard for a test and you accidentally put the wrong answer down on the test. That's a mistake. Sin is looking at the person across from you and cheating off of them. That's sin. There's a clear difference. God's word defines it. And you go, okay, that's good for students in school. What about you? Mistakes happen at work when you strive to do the very best job possible even though you don't care to do the job. Sin happens when you purposely try to undermine someone else's work to get a promotion. But we have lost consciousness of sin in this country. And that's not only in the United States, but it's in the world today. And apparently, it was quite prevalent in the early church as well. Think about this. If we say we have no sin, we have no need for a Savior. So why did Jesus come? The truth is, we do have sin. Confession of sin comes from truth. Denial of sin comes from error. I have a confession to make. I'm a yard freak. I want my grass to be really green. In fact, I hired a lawn service this year so that they would keep my lawn green. But in the spring of the year, this yellow flower pops up every once in a while. And I I don't like that yellow flower. In fact, I get on my hands and knees and I dig with my little spade thingy and pull it out by the root and I will go all around my yard and pick out every one of those yellow flowers because I don't like them. Because I know what's going to happen. I'm going to let that little yellow flower grow, and it's going to turn into a little white flower. And then Susie's going to be walking her dog with her mom and come past my house, and she's going to pull that little white flower, and she's going to go, oh, look, Mommy. And the seeds of Satan will be spread on my lawn. Sin is just like that flower. You see, because that little dandelion, it looks kind of cute. It looks kind of okay. And that's how sin presents itself. Satan never comes to us and says, if you start vaping, you're going to blow up a lung. No, 
it's going to be so good. You're going to be able to relax. You're going to take all the pressure off yourself. You know, if you look at this, it's really attractive, isn't it? It's going to be fine. And then there's going to be addiction that destroys your life later. You see, sin never presents itself as those little white seeds that go flying. But those little white seeds that go flying, if you don't get them, if you don't nip them in the bud, then it's like the neighbor's house in your neighborhood that nobody wants to be like. And you go, when are they going to cut their grass? Man, they have a lot of dandelions. That's how sin is. Sin never stays in one place. It will continue to grow and continue to grow and continue to manifest itself. And that's why the author of this is so hard on sin. He said, if there is sin in your life, address it. If you say no, you have no sin, you are a liar. If you say you have no sin, you make God out to be a liar. God's truth is not served if we simply cover up the truth about ourselves. Having sent Jesus to cleanse us from all sins, he is faithful and just to forgive all those sins. I am reminded again this week to be continually on guard. Being in ministry is not always very easy. And it was once again revealed this week that a mega church pastor had been innocently de, uh, direct messaging another woman in his church that wasn't his wife. You know, that, that, that sin that happens, it looks so good. It looks so innocent, but it's not. And we have to be vigilant going to God's word and addressing our lives. He is faithful. He is a steadfast God. And despite our unrighteousness, God is righteous and he sent the one who is righteous. By depending on the work of Jesus, we are able to walk in the fellowship with the one who is light. So let me ask you, how are you doing? You know, you can feel warm and you can feel okay and you can walk out. Or you can take a close look at your life. And I think it's something that we need to do on a regular basis. What is the world telling you that makes you feel okay about the sin in your life? But yet on the other hand, God's word is speaking a different truth in your life. What are the dandelions of sin that you need to pick? Walk in the light as God is in the light. I have good news for you. Here's your flashlight. 